You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Ashley Voss. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, September 5th, 2023. $226,500 to cover the salary and benefits for adding a nurse to the dispatch team. In today's feature report, local journalist Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin provides a report on efforts to add a nurse to the dispatch center during the 2024 city budget hearings. More in the bottom half of tonight's program. Do not pick up a wild animal with bare hands. Also coming up in the next half hour, Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between the WFHB Local News and Lil Bub's Big Fund. But first, your local headlines. At the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting on August 30th, Health Administrator Lori Kelly gave a department update. So just a few updates. Um, We are continuing to see small increases in COVID cases, emergency department visits for COVID-like illness, and wastewater concentrations. However, the numbers remain far below past points in the pandemic. I have an update about the CDC's bridge access program. This will provide free COVID-19 vaccines for a limited time after these move onto the commercial market in the fall of 2023. This will allow free vaccines to uninsured and underinsured adults. Free vaccines through this temporary program will not be available after December of 2024. As a reminder, the public health clinic has vaccines available for all ages. You can call 812-353-3244 for an appointment. Next, Director of the Planning Department, Jackie Nestor-Jalen, informed the public about County Development Ordinance listening sessions. I would like to give an update about our County Development Ordinance listening sessions. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. So on our MonroeCDO.com website, we have information for the remaining two listening sessions for the public to attend. Um, I'd like to point out our flyer that we have online. Um, We're going to be hosting two more listening sessions. This Thursday, we will be at the Ellettsville Town Hall at 5.30 p.m. at the Ellettsville Town Hall room. And then the following Tuesday, we will be in the Monroe County Government Center, the North Showers Building at 5.30. And the purpose of these meetings is to host the public, have them come, find out what their proposed zoning is, give us feedback about whether they like that zone or whether they dislike that zone, or uh, the use table if they think that some uses are better fitting in some zones and not in others. Um, This is really an opportunity for people to come and speak. And um, I really encourage people to attend, or if people have questions, we'd be happy to answer those before attending. We're hosting these via hybrid meetings, so you can also join via Zoom. Um, But they're uh, 5.30 this Thursday and next Tuesday, so if you want a chance to possibly sway uh, elected and appointed officials in determining the draft zoning that will ultimately become the uh, official zoning map, um, we encourage you to attend these two meetings. So, Later in the meeting, 
The commissioners heard from senior planner Drew Myers on Ordinance 2023-29, a Lake Lemon Marina rezone petition. So uh, to start with a summary, um, the petition, um, <clears throat> the request is a rezone from limited business to limited business for a, a parcel totaling 3.41 acres in Benton North Township. Uh, the intention behind the rezone from limited business to limited business uh, is to remove a prior uh, condition of approval from Ordinance 2007-48. Uh, the petitioner um, wanted to remove this um, condition of approval as highlighted here on the bottom of your screen that required a shared driveway type design um, during the original rezone of this uh, property. If the rezone is approved by the county commissioners, the condition of approval for a shared driveway will be removed from the properties originally involved in, this, in the rezone. Uh, following approval of this rezone request, the petitioner does intend to apply for a major subdivision preliminary plat amendment um, with a sidewalk waiver to remove the mention of the shared driveway requirement and remove the requirement uh, uh, to construct the sidewalk. Um, it is staff's understanding that the shared driveway that we're talking about is both conditioned in the rezone uh, of this property and the uh, surrounding properties, as well as uh, the subdivision final guiding documents. Um, so we will have to go through the planning commission again um, to remove this condition um, through the subdivision process. The commissioners decided to postpone a vote on the petition until they hear more information from the highway department. The next Monroe County Commissioner's meeting will be held on September 6th. In today's feature report, local journalist Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin provides a report on efforts to add a nurse to the dispatch center during the 2024 city budget hearings. This comes from the B-Square Bulletin's Morning Bulletin. Dave Askins has more. The B-Square Bulletin sends out an emailed Morning Bulletin every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can sign up for the Morning Bulletin by visiting bsquarebulletin.com and clicking on the tab labeled Subscribe. Here's an entry from the edition that was sent out on Friday, September 1st, 2023. The headline to this item is Nursing Politics at Budget Time. On Thursday afternoon, the Dispatch Policy Board met to consider one agenda item. In addition to the Dispatch Center's budget of $286,500, the Dispatch Policy Board had already made its recommendation for the 2024 budget. The breakdown on the amendment was $60,000 for an assessment of dispatch operations by an Indiana-based public safety consultant and $226,500 to cover the salary and benefits for adding a nurse to the dispatch team, plus a corresponding module to the dispatch software. With no real deliberations, the five-member group voted three to two against recommending the budget amendment. But that was just a recommendation. It's the county council and the city council who will be taking the final vote that counts. In the photo that's included in the morning bulletin, the five board members are sitting in a row at the table. Shannon Bunger with IUPD, Phil Parker, Monroe County Sheriff's Deputy, Ryan Pedigo, 
with the Bloomington Police Department, Jason Moore, Bloomington Fire Chief, and Dustin Dillard, Monroe County Fire Protection District Chief. Supporting the budget amendment were the two City of Bloomington public safety officials, Pedigo and Moore. Looking a little closer at the interlocal agreement under which the City of Bloomington and Monroe County operate the dispatch center, I think sometime in July or August, the public was owed a joint work session of the City Council and the County Council. But that work session did not happen this year, or apparently in any previous year since the 2018 interlocal agreement was ratified. The interlocal agreement says that each year in July or August, the County Council and the City Council, quote, shall meet in a joint work session to review the central dispatch budget, end quote. There is, however, an escape clause. The interlocal agreement says, quote, in the event the city and the county agree on a central dispatch budget prior to scheduling or holding a joint work session, the parties agree that a joint work session need not be held, end quote. But surely for the city and the county to agree on a central dispatch budget would require some action at a public meeting. To see this most clearly, consider it from the county's perspective. The only way the county can take action on anything is if the Board of County Commissioners or the County Council takes action, which means taking a vote at a public meeting. I don't think up to now either of those two bodies have even discussed the dispatch center's budget, much less taken a vote on it. That means this weekend there are some records requests that I will be drafting. This has been Dave Askins with the B-Square Bulletin for WFHB. Last week, WFHB News reported on record high heat waves this summer. Today, we continue that report. Dana Habib, architect and urban designer at Indiana University, looks at how climate change responsive design can help mitigate climate change. She's the principal investigator with Beat the Heat in collaboration with the IU Environmental Resilience Institute and the Indiana Office of Community and Rural Affairs started in 2021. Beat the Heat selected the Indiana cities Clarksville and Richmond as the program's recipients. Through this project, both communities hired full-time heat relief coordinators to develop programs and projects to cope with the health impacts of extreme heat. She expanded on what the Beat the Heat project entails. Beat the Heat is a two-year program where we worked with the communities for over two years to both assess their community needs and vulnerability, and then as well to develop um, strategies and approaches for both of those communities. Um, and so some of the, um, so the, both of the communities um, conducted a very extensive community needs assessment where they um, worked with um, CAPA strategies and NOAA to do a heat watch campaign. Um, and so that's where they put sensors onto cars and bikes, and they drove or biked around their communities to capture near-surface air temperatures. Um, and it's really important that communities are able to understand their specific exposures to extreme heat, because we see that in cities, that temperatures vary dramatically within the built environment. And it varies dramatically based on how we're building our cities and developing our cities. And so what also impacts our vulnerability is our heat exposures, and we're not all exposed to the same temperature exposures across our cities. And so where we live, 
um, our occupation, how we commute, all can impact um, our exposures to temperatures. Um, the both of the communities also um, um, conducted heat surveys with their communities to understand their community's understanding of extreme heat, their risk to ex extreme heat, their experiences with extreme heat, as well as um, understand specific barriers they might have to adapt to extreme heat. Um, our heat relief coordinators with both the communities um, conducted focus groups with their communities, specifically targeting um, vulnerable populations and different stakeholders to have focus groups with to kind of um, delve into these same questions. So all this information went to creating heat management plans and for both of the communities and for cities to be able to plan appropriately is a wonderful tool so they can identify their problem, prioritize it, and then identify different strategies that they can use in order to increase their resilience um, to specific um, climate change um, uh, impacts. And so from their heat management plan, they looked at both short-term goals and strategies that they could implement, as well as long-term goals and strategies, knowing that you can't do everything in a year. Um, and so thinking both short-term and for long-term planning. Um, for the short-term pl planning, they uh, identify specific um, strategies and, and tools and, and programs they want to develop and execute over the summer. Both of our heat leaf coordinators worked extensively with their heat management um, 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 agencies to, I'm sorry, emergency management agencies to look at how heat alerts were being sent to the communities, to look at different thresholds um, for when to tri trigger um, heat alerts, um, and how to um, recruit more residents to receive um, their heat alerts. They also created a, um, Heat the Heat tool, Toolkit, um, and they made a, a social media campaign. So for a hot um, week in the summer, like what we just experienced now, um, they released, um, created a different social media kit so that would be released on every day of the week that had different information about extreme heat, um, the dangers of it, as well as different resources that people had um, could have access to. So communication is really important when we start thinking about um, how we can um, respond to extreme heat, making sure we're communicating to people to make them aware that this is happening, um, that there is danger on the horizon, um, and that how to think about changing their behaviors um, so that they can put themselves in a safer position, um, as well as what resources are there for communities. Both of our communities identified different cooling centers that um, would be hosted so that community members could go to those places if for whatever reason they didn't have access to a cool environment. Um, and so those are really important to be able to establish these places. Unfortunately, we see that AC is our main way of adapting to extreme heat, um, and that has both pros and cons to it. Um, but if we don't want people in our community who either don't have AC in their home, have a broken air conditioning, um, can't afford to run um, and pay for their utility bills over hot summer days, to be exposed to high temperatures, or for the housing insecure in our, in our communities to not have access to buildings um, and indoor environments to have um, that are cool and, and to seek, you know, shelter. So these are some of the programs they put in place. Um, they also created cool kits. Um, and so little kits 
that had water bottles and, and different types of um, different things in the kits that they could give out to community members um, so that they could stay cool in the summer months. And they also had different types of training programs um, to be able to educate and interact with different community members in their, um, in their communities. Given her background in urban design, Habib discussed how urban planning can help those who are most at risk during extreme weather events. For us to look at our communities, about how we live in our cities and how we can make more livable cities, especially during times of extreme conditions. Um, so a lot of the work that we're looking at is not just how we can look at pieces of cities um, in isolation, but in whole, and how we can design uh, cool environments and think through not just a specific area, but maybe a cool corridor and think through how um, our communities are using the space, um, where our residents are, how they're moving in our built environment, where are the heavy traffic areas, and then think through how we can create more climate and integrate more climate responsive designs into those areas, especially those of high heat. Um, we know very clearly the different types of urban form characteristics in a city that really increases temperatures. And so by looking at the different, what we call urban morphological variables or the, the way that we're designing our cities, how tall buildings are, how much impervious surfaces like um, parking lots there are, um, or how much green infrastructure or green space there is in our community, we can really get an idea of how hot these places are going to be. And what's great that when we start thinking about designing for cool environments, a lot of these have so many other co-benefits um, of where people want to be um, near you know, park space or in areas with large tree canopy um, or thinking about more holistic designs that are thinking about, you know, our beautiful streetscapes as a place that we want to be um, and spend time in. And so I think these are really important for communities to come in place and, and think through what are these wonderful public spaces that we have? What are the built environment conditions that we want to improve? Um, so that we create these livable spaces that we all enjoy to be in, but that also can create safer environments for us as well. Habib says that there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution for society to grapple with the rise in extreme weather events as a result of climate change. However, she said through collective action, we can take a step in the right direction. I think these are really tough problems, and we call them wicked problems. There's no one simple solution. And usually when we find a solution, it's probably going to cause one or two other problems. And so we're never just going to find the perfect um, solution to any of these types of wicked or really complex problems. But I think where we really need to move is working collectively as a community and as a society and coming up with these decisions collectively. And I think that's going to be what really moves us to the next level is when we bring all these great ideas we have from our communities, when we bring people to the table, when we hear about lived experiences, and we also get and, and really value the knowledge of individual community members, understand, you know, what are their struggles and where do they want to see their communities go. But I think all of these large problems really has to do with us working as best as we can collectively, so that we can first identify the problem that we want to improve. And that's always the first thing. And then start thinking through 
all the different ways that we can tackle these things. Thinking through both the pros and cons and moving together, understanding that whatever decision we make, there will always be some consequences, but we can always keep shifting and we keep changing as long as we keep moving forward and and really having a larger goal that we can collectively agree on. So it's a large, you know, kind of abstract answer to your question. Um, but I think that that's where um, I think you can take that approach at a local neighborhood level. You can take that approach to, a, you know, at a city level. You can take that approach to a state level. But how we can gather, you know, more people to the table to really identify this is the problem that we want to solve and think through the complicated, you know, ways and solutions to get to it. For WFHB, I'm Ashley Voss. Now it's time for Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between the WFHB Local News and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We turn now to that segment. Welcome to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a weekly co-production from WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We highlight adoptable animals with special needs in South Central Indiana and spotlight topics to promote human animal welfare. If you see a wild animal that is alive but injured, such as from a domestic animal or a car, there are a few things you can do to potentially help. First, local wildlife rehabilitator WildCare advises, do not pick up a wild animal with bare hands. If you can, keep the animal where it is. But if it must be moved, try to use gloves and keep the animal in a warm, quiet area. Do not feed the animal or give the animal medicine. And do not keep a wild animal as a pet. For example, if you see a turtle in the street and it is uninjured, you can help it cross the road by putting it on the side of the road in the direction that it was heading. If the turtle is injured in any way, it needs your help. Turtles should be handled with gloves, but can be handled safely with bare hands if you wash or sanitize your hands immediately after handling. In addition to turtles, wild care may be able to assist with animals such as bats, opossums, rabbits, squirrels, snakes, frogs, toads, and birds. They do not accept adult deer, adult raccoons, adult skunks, or adult coyotes. You can call wild care at 812 323 1313. In the spirit of prevention, did you know that free roaming cats can make a negative impact on our native bird and small animal populations? Cats with uncontrolled outdoor access also face increased risks of disease, injury, poisoning, and permanent separation from their owner. Before letting a pet cat roam free, 
the City of Bloomington Animal Care and Control recommends using a screened-in catio or fencing your yard with cat-proof fencing. These options limit predation while allowing your cat to experience the joys of being outside. Thank you for tuning in to Lil Bub's Lil Show on WFHB, produced in partnership with Lil Bub's Big Fund. For more info on today's featured animal and topic, find us online at goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Dave Askins. Low Buff's Low Show is produced by Christine Brackenoff and Stacey Bradovsky. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Ashley Voss. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcast. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Spectrum, exploring the worlds of science and technology. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 